Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Perf Web 75, day five. So as you can tell, we're doing some different stuff here with scheduling, trying to do short programs every day for a period of time, three days, four days, five days, a couple of times a month with the goal, of course, to minimize the impact on your schedule uh, and, uh, pr- you know, provide for just good, quick. Um, Maximize availability. Yeah, ma- right. yeah, exactly, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because after, after about four or five hours of being back here on some of the other longer programs we've done, um, I get pretty tired because mm-hmm. um, I have to talk. I seemingly have to talk a lot. <laughs> A lot, but apparently that's... Are you saying you don't talk a lot <laughs> off camera? <laughs> Maybe I do. I'm not sure. So welcome to what I am hoping is not a dumpster fire today because we're going to be doing something that is uh, really unusual. I think in the uh, uh, online CEU programming world, uh, I want to welcome everyone, of course, Tammy Sparacino, my partner in crime over here. I couldn't do any of this without her. I'm telling you what, I, I she did a great program on Monday and Tuesday, and we were on your own Wednesday as well. Mm-hmm. I think I did something on Tuesday. And, yes, uh, you did. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but you were here live in the studio, and I appreciate right. it a lot. Okay, so with all of that said, let's just go ahead and tell you what we're planning on doing today. Today's program is about ECMO simulation. And we're going to go over our entire circuit, but I want to tell you that I'm going to be highlighting the Eigenflow ECMO simulator by Curtis Life Resources, CL, uh, CLR. They're out of Indianapolis. Paul Curtis is the uh, developer of this technology, and uh, it runs a variety of programs that are built into their app. Uh, but you can also manipulate it to make it do whatever you want to do. We also are going to be highlighting the transonic ELSA meter, which is a device. We're going to show you all these devices, which is the device used to measure flows. It could be measuring recirculation in your venovenous ECMO circuit, and it can measure uh, any kind of clot burden uh, by measuring oxygenator blood volume in your uh, in your ECMO oxygenator uh, for either VV or VA ECMO. So the recirculation is obviously only VV. You wouldn't have recirculation VA. And then the oxygenator blood volume, which is extrap- which is then inferred uh, clot burden in your oxygenator is uh, for the VA and the VV. Um, we're also going to be showing you our ECMO platform. This is the actual ECMO circuit that we use routinely. Uh, it is the uh, Levanova uh, SCPC. Uh, we're very happy with it. I know that they have discontinued manufacturing of the SCPC plot trolley platform, uh, although it is our preferred. Um, we, you can use this for everything from in-house to transporting to the CT, to transporting via uh, either ground or air ambulance, 
to anywhere that you want to go. So it's a very effective tool. Uh, disappointed that they did decide to discontinue it, but I understand they uh, you know they 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 uh, need to do what they need to do. Um, the uh, let's see what we're also going to be highlighting some a a patient monitor mm -hmm. and a patient and a ventilator scenario system. Uh, which marries with the uh, Eigenflow ECMO simulator and everything hopefully will work in synergy with each other. Before we get started, we want to talk about uh, some, so we have some, some show and tell type of things mm -hmm. here. We want to talk about the basic circuit of an ECMO system. And Tammy is going to take the oxygenator and blood pump portion of it and discuss those. And then after that, I'm going to talk about cannulas and very briefly cannulation. If you remember, we have done several programs now on ECMO cannulation strategies, the difference in the oxygenators and everything else. But just as a refresher for our audience today, we wanna to go over some of these various tools. So Tammy, I'll let you focus on the oxygenators and then uh, I'll do the cannulas and then we'll, you'll go up to the, uh, to the uh, simulation area and turn the ECMO on at the flow and so forth and we'll get the patient monitors and everything running and we'll start with the uh, first scenario. So. Sounds good. It's on you. Welcome everyone, happy Friday. Let's get started with the blood pump. Now this is the Levanova Revolution. Many of you may be familiar with it. It's the same kind of blood pump, a centrifugal pump that comes in um, a regular bypass pack. Um, we are very happy with it. We also use it in the operating room on our um, uh, cardiopulmonary bypass system. And you can see um, it's similar to most centrifugal pumps. It has a lot of little fins here that spin around and uh, propel the blood. Of course, coming in through here, this would be from your access uh, from your patient into the blood pump, out of the blood pump, and into whatever oxygenator you choose. I'll start with first this oxygenator, also made by Levanova. This is the Inspire oxygenator. Now, this one is made of uh, polypropylene, and it is uh, what we like to call our short-term oxygenator, although during COVID, when we had you know, so many patients and not um, availability of supplies as quick as we needed them sometimes, just due to you know, manufacturing trying to keep up, um, we found that this oxygenator really isn't short term. It lasts quite a long time. Um, before we were kind of under the impression that this was, you know, anywhere from five to seven days and seven days was likely going to be pushing it for its capacity to continue performing well. Um, you know, evidenced by, uh, what we all have seen on long-term oxygenators, uh, you know, is a foaming kind of thing happening out of its exhaust port. But, uh, um, with inavailability to be able to actually change these out as frequently as we um, would normally just schedule, we had to let them go until we actually saw the performance drop. And we had some of these last regularly, 14 days, some even 20 days. And um, besides the foaming, of course, we're doing a, you know, oxygenator um, 
blood gases in our circuit so that we're able to really keep up with the performance. And this little thing is actually, a, it's, a, it's a workhorse. It's a less expensive um, version of these oxygenators because of the fibers that are inside. Um, you do need to be aware that because it's uh, polypropylene that it will interact with lipids. So um, propofol, uh, you would want to uh, have an alternate um, medication on these patients. Now a little bit of propofol and then turning off you know, while you're switching, that's okay. It's not uh, that it is, uh, can't use it at all if the patient has some propofol going. Just know it's going to affect the um, longevity of the oxygenator and its performance. Um, we also, uh, you also need to be aware that if you have a patient that has an, um, you know, extremely high um, lipids just within their body, that's the same kind of thing that would react. Um, so you want to just keep an eye on that. When it does have those interactions, it's not a sudden failure. You're definitely going to have notice. Um, we had several, um, you know, patients that were on propofol initially and then they got transitioned off sometimes six, sometimes 12 hours later, or maybe they were put on a little propofol just for a little procedure and then it was taken off and the oxygenator worked fine. We just, you know, kept a close eye on it. Okay. Then we also have another oxygenator. This is also made by Levanova. This is their EOS. And this one is, um, considered the um, real long-term oxygenator. Let's hold it in the right direction here. And it, it's made of uh, the PMP fibers, which last um, much longer. Um, they don't have the same interaction with lipids. So you have uh, no concerns with that if you want to run propofol. And these guys we had last a really long time. Um, many of them went um, a month, even a little more than a month. And some of them um, with certain patients could have lasted even longer. It's just at the point of when we were getting to four and five weeks, we were thinking it was probably just time to change it out because that's a really long time. Um, this is a great oxygenator. It does cost just a bit more uh, just due to the way it's um, manufactured with this type of um, fibers inside. They're both very similar in that, um, you know, they've got these are extra ports here. If uh, you needed to have uh, an extra line, I think they're actually developed for like cardioplegia. Um, they have heat exchangers inside of them. This one's located here. This one's underneath so that we're able to warm and cool the patient as needed. Um, they both have uh, recirc lines that come off of it. This one is here and you can open it to, uh, has a little bit more of adjustment. You can have a full flow coming out or a trickle flow or turn it off completely. Um, this one as well, although it doesn't have that same adjustment. Um, we like to keep ours uh, open throughout the entire case. And then, you know, we use it as a way to either uh, be able to get uh, blood out of uh, post-oxygenator blood back out of if we're needing to maybe incorporate a CRT or something, or uh, just as a way to um, make sure that we have a method of de-airing if we got into any sort of situation like that. 
Very good. Excellent. Excellent overview. So I'm going to go over cannulas very quickly uh, with everyone. Um, This is a traditional, uh, what we call a VFEM, which is a multi-stage single cannula for draining. And this usually is going to be inserted into the femoral vein and then up with the tip. Uh, this is the guide here, so that would come out the tip uh, at the uh, uh, usually the IVC RA junction or actually in the right atrium itself. And then you have drainage going throughout all the way down, including uh, being uh, uh, infrahepatic uh, for your drainage there. Um, when you use that cannula, you're usually going to have, that's the dual cannulation technique. In fact, one of our scenarios incorporates that. This is an opti. This is traditionally a femoral arterial return cannula. can also be put in the subclavian, of course, uh, with a graft, but most people don't. They, use, they just use a connector. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, this historically for ECMO with the dual cannulation strategy would go into the right IJ. And it has a flow disbursement tip. So you would be draining inferiorly, returning superiorly. And it would be, of course, entering the right atrium. And you would have your VV ECMO in that configuration. But this is also how you would do VA. You would have the VFEM in the femoral vein up into the right atrium and this into the femoral artery. So when you do VA ECMO, it's always going to be a double cannulation or dual cannulation strategy. Um, this is an Avalon catheter, an Avalon, uh, they have another, uh, called a crescent. It is very similar. It is a dual lumen, single catheter VV ECMO. So you have, this goes into the right H, uh, to the right IJ. It goes the tip into the inferior vena cava. It has drainage from the inferior vena cava and the superior vena cava with a return in the right atrium. And this can be finicky in positioning. So you have to be aware of that. It has to be put in the right uh, configuration, the right depth, uh, not too deep, not too shallow in order for the holes to be where you want them to be. Access in the IVC and the SVC return in the right atrium. Generally speaking, it should be positioned so that the outlet, the exit port is directed towards the tricuspid valve. It reduces recirculation and improves efficiency or maximizes efficiency of your VV ECMO strategy. And then of course, for right heart dysfunction and for also VV ECMO, this is used by a lot of people for just VV ECMO, notwithstanding RV dysfunction. And certainly anytime you do VV ECMO, it is possible to get RV uh, dysfunction, RV failure. We've seen that happen several Mm -hmm. times. This would certainly, I think, help to mitigate that. Or if it didn't mitigate it, you're already treating it. Uh, But it has some disadvantages in that I don't Uh, My experience with it is you can't get as much flow. However, you have almost no recirculation. And this is the uh, Levanova Tandem um, Protect Duo catheter. It is very expensive, um, but notwithstanding, it is effective. Okay. It goes into the right IJ. 
and it transitions through the tricuspid valve with the tip going through the pulmonary valve into the pulmonary artery. So it sits in this configuration and you have drainage from the right atrium and return to the pulmonary uh, artery uh, uh, past the pulmonary valve. So you can see that that would certainly reduce dramatically, if not eliminate, uh, recirculation, but it would also, of course, uh, significantly help a failing right ventricle. So this is an excellent tool for RV uh, dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I've talked enough about cannulas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask. Uh, oh, I don't I don't want that. I, I don't want the coffee. You can take the coffee away. No, no, I'm good. I have everything I need. But thank you. Um. And that was very nice. That was very kind. Somebody actually brought me something, but I don't need it. I'm good. Okay. Um, the last thing I need right now is any more stimuli <laughs> because I'm, I'm wired up. Okay. So here we go. We're going to try this and see what happens. So Tammy, if you would please take our new pointer and go to the uh, simulation area and we'll go over, I'll just discuss what everything is. So if we could go to a overview of the circuit, David. Big shot of the circuit, bottom right, uh, the entire circuit. So camera five, yeah, there we go, okay. So Tammy is gonna sort of show you, just go over the, like from the table, the way the circuit is designed. Okay. And Tammy has her mic on, yeah. My mic is on. Okay, everyone. So um, starting over here, this is the Eigenflow um, simulator. And um, if you can see here that we've got, this would be coming a drainage from the patient. And then it's sort of just wrapping around, coming down our um, access line, coming up into our centrifugal pump. Through the centrifugal pump, we have it going into this oxygenator here, and then it's going to come out here. I'll pause for a moment to see this is where the gas is going into the oxygenator. We just have it hooked up to an O2, line, uh, O2 tank. We've got our flow meter here, and then we're coming back out of the circuit, and this would go back into your patient. So if this were VV, this would be your access, and this would be your return. If we were VA, this would, of course, be your venous, and then this would be your arterial. Um, Very good. Could you show the bubble detector? So we have an inline bubble detector. Oh, yeah. So on our uh, venous side over here, we have an inline bubble detector. And uh, let's see. We've got some uh, pressure monitoring lines here. So we've got our pre-pump and our post-oxygenator. We have those uh, available uh, for our scenarios so that we're able to show you changes in pressures. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. So now, now that you've done the circuit, let's go over all of the different screens. Oh, could you show the ELSA meter, by the way? Oh, sure. And this is the transonic ELSA meter. Right now we have it set up just to be monitoring flow. So you can see the blue is showing uh, the uh, venous or access flow. And then the red is showing the return or access flow. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's a whited yeah. out just a little bit because of the light. Yeah. There, there we go. go. That's yeah, very that's nice. Beautiful. Okay, so here. 
Blue is the venous or access. Red is the return or arterial, depending on your configuration of what type of uh, ECMO support you are providing. Now, as far as the screens, just for our demonstration. So go to the uh, full, David, to the full pack. Yep, there you go. Okay, so for the screens, you see we got a lot of information up there. Um, I'll point out when you're looking at your screen at home, you'll see that we've got a patient monitor in the upper left. Just below, we've got a, a vent monitor. Below that is the um, eigenflow uh, monitor that's going to have uh, various information depending on what uh, manipulation Joe does with the app. Then we've so got, we're going to, just for the sake of today's scenarios, yep. that is going to basically be our sweep, our FiO2, and the, uh, the uh, inline oxygen sat, our arterial, SaO2, SVO2, temperature, and inline crit. That's okay. all it's ever going to Okay. going to be for for the court for today's for cases. today okay now if, look staying at the bottom of the screen the very next one sort of in the center is our scpc um, control panel so we have it here you can see it monitors flow and we've also got our rpms and our pressure and then this is just the rheostat to be able to control the flow so do you want to go ahead and go up to four liters? Because we're going to need to be at four liters for this first scenario. Absolutely. Anyway. So you see how she turns the flow up by simply turning the rheostat control, increasing the RPMs. That's good. Four okay. liters. And I'll move my hand away. And you can see mm -hmm. that our pressure increased. Our pressure is the center number. And then our RPMs uh, at the bottom and liters per minute at the very top. Now, the next screen that we have there is also on the SEPC, and it is our pressure screen. So we've got our negative pressure here, which would be our pre-pump pressure. It's expected to be negative. And then we have our post-oxygenator pressure, which is positive, and we expect that to be positive. As well, exactly. And uh, point out one more thing, just out of interest, uh, and this is our battery life because these do have an excellent battery, so you're able to run on battery when you're doing transports around the hospital, getting to an ambulance, or doing you know anything that you need to do um, with the circuit itself. So Perfect, okay, very good. All right, so let's go ahead and try the first scenario. And just so everyone knows, I chose as the first scenario, Probably one of the more simple ones that we're going to see today, just to sort of get our feet wet a little bit, if I can. Um, and we can go ahead to the slides full screen, please. Excellent. Thank you. So the first scenario is VV ECMO with hypovolemic chatter. Uh, the patient is a COVID ARDS patient. 36-year-old male, hemodynamically stable, not on any pressors, 185 centimeters, 104 kilograms with a BMI of 32. They have been on ECMO for 14 days. Their vent, which we'll show you, is on lung protect vent settings, but they have their, their compliance is very poor on their lungs. Current ECMO settings is an FiO2 of 100%. Sweep is at 4 liters. Uh, the ECMO inline SAO2 is reading 100. The SVO2 is reading 79. The temperature is reading 36.8.
and the hematocrit, I'm sorry, is reading 38, and the hematocrit is reading 29. So the event that we're going to show you is the patient uh, has decreasing urine output, and a decision was made to give the patient 40 milligrams of furosemide, which resulted in a very robust response. The patient begins to become unstable all of a sudden with decreasing SATs and changes in ECMO flow are noted. So let's go to the full, uh, full procedure. Now, everyone, uh, go ahead and make sure you're looking over here. This would be where our flow is. So we're going to have changes in ECMO flow. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to. So this is frequently how this goes down. So, so you want, you want a sound to yes, the sounds, please. Thank you. So you're going to be going along and we're going to just sort of sit here for a minute and let this whole process play itself out. And so far, we don't see anything really, anything really going wrong. And you can see the patient monitor, the patient's doing okay. You can see the ventilator, what its settings are. Our flow is stable at 4.1. Our pressures all look good. And in the bottom right corner, you can see the entire circuit. Uh, in fact, can you pull up the entire circuit just for a second and let everybody look at that? Bottom right. Okay. And I'll point out while we're waiting for our scenario to begin. It's getting ready to start, but go ahead. Okay, I was just no, going to point ahead, out. I think it's really good the way this works. You can see our ELSA meter is now reflecting uh, our new change in flow. Yes, absolutely. Very good point. Now you start hearing alarms. Okay, we want to go back to the... Uh, we have things are not looking right. Yep. So let's go back. There we and go. And what do we notice? So... First thing that we would notice, and it's often as a perfusionist or as a bedside nurse, your first note is that you're seeing here that the flow is um, automatically making adjustments there. It's vacillating. Yep. And that's usually caused by an obstruction of the access line as the vena cava are collapsing around your access catheter. You also clearly note that you hear a lot of alarms going off. Your patient saturation is being compromised because your flow has significantly changed. And you also see your pressures, access and return pressures, more your access pressure, vac vacillating wildly. I don't know if you can see it or not, but can you go to full screen on the entire circuit? Can you see if the line appears to be if you're seeing any chatter, because a lot of times you will see that. Maybe you can simulate it. Yeah, it would look you will see a it lot like this. Chattering, yes. And it's, it's doing a little dance because what's happening is because there's not enough volume um, at the cannula, um, the line is collapsing because the pump is pulling. Go ahead and stop the sounds. 
more volume than is available. So it will try to pull. It will create a negative pressure. The line will collapse. The negative pressure, um, the volume problem will uh, uh, solve itself because the pump has stopped and Go then it the will open again. Pack. And that's why you see the, uh, the changes in the flow is it's trying to flow what you have set it at, but it does not have enough volume to do so, which will cause the chatter. Now, let's talk about, so go ahead and bring the slides up. So very frequently, what you'll see is you'll see the sats drop. You'll start hearing your alarms go off. You'll, if, you're, if you don't have the, the, the flow controller, if you don't have the ECMO flow right in front of you, you'll start seeing those lines really start to jump. Now, it wasn't too dramatic in this particular scenario for whatever reason, um, but it can be quite dramatic. Correct. But then you'll look at your flow and see that vacillating, and you, you, you know something is wrong. And figuring that out, you have to look at the total set of circumstances. You were going along just fine. You've lost a bunch of volume from, uh, from a diuresis. And now you're having pump chatter, what we call pump chatter, uh, or vacillation in your flow because of hypovolemia. Mm -hmm. And there's really only one way to treat this. You got to give volume. You got to give volume. And generally speaking, so let's look. Um, we've observed a stable patient, recognized decreasing sets, recognized vacillating flow, observed vacillating access and return pressures, and observed the line chatter phenomenon. And so we're going to give volume. So when we give volume, this is what usually you see occur. So go back to the full, full set. So I've gone ahead and given this patient volume. We've given 500 to 5% albumin. You can see your flows slowly starting to come back up. They're going to be vacillating a lot less. And eventually you're going to get back to where you were before. And now you see that everything has calmed itself down. You don't have the, uh, your patient monitor looks much better. You've got your sats up to 94. They should continue to improve over time. Anytime you have this episode occur, you're going to see that it, there's going to be a lag in getting everything back up because now you're in a deficit state, and that sometimes can take a little bit of time. You could try to make an adjustment to your vent, but your vent patient has very low compliance. Their volumes are 271. Their peak pressures are already 32. We're trying to get the vent turned down. They're at 70% FiO2, as you can see on the monitor. Bring the, bring the patient monitor up full screen, please. And you can see uh, that, you know, how much are these, no, that's the monitor, the, uh, the ventilator. Sorry, my mistake. Um, you can see here that you're, you're really not, uh, you're 70, you could have gone to 100%, and certainly that would have been a prudent thing to do. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got relatively, you're already stretched out, stressed out on your, your vent. You, you're, you're getting as much as you possibly can, and it's really not probably contributing a whole lot. So I would say to just go ahead and uh, bump it to 100% for a minute or something as you get your volume in. But volume is the right solution to this problem. There's no question. Well, and, okay, go back to Tammy and, if, and I. 
And if I may point Absolutely. out, in the meantime, while you're getting the volume, while you've, uh, you've identified the problem, but now you're waiting, right? Someone's getting you albumin or, or whatever is occurring. One solution would be to decrease your flow slightly so that you are able to give a consistent flow because a lower flow at a consistent delivery is better than intermittent flow. Absolutely. Uh, Another very good point. Turning your RPMs down would definitely help. It would help. No question about and it. Keep in mind, um, you can see this in other uh, situations, especially, you know, just besides you gave some sort of diuretic, the patient may be awake. Maybe they're in a new position and therefore they are, might be decreasing their um, flow because they are have manipulated uh, the cannula in some way because they're sitting up. They've turned their neck if you have a neck cannula. So there's various ways that the, the volume is not getting to the ECMO circuit, and they would all look very similar. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Okay, so if you could, if you would, wouldn't mind, um, you know, we do have some cavitation issues, so could you take just one second and turn the ECMO flow off? Go ahead and get the air out of the cone, and then we'll go back because I can hear it. Because I think... Oh, you want yeah, me to de-air? Yeah, just turn, your, turn oh. the flow all the way off. Oh, yeah. And with this pump, when you get to 1,000 RPMs, you Wait, have to I'm push sorry, it down. Sorry, it's backwards arrow. for me, so I have to think about that a second. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and you push we got to push down the arrow. down, the safety. Yep. There you go. Once, there you go. Turn it back on. That's good. Okay. And go back up to four liters or so. Thank you. Uh -huh. All right. And we got it. So we'll go to now, we're going to do ECMO uh, scenario number two. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about a, it might take me a second to get it prepared, but it's going to be a hyperdynamic state. And we're going to talk about VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so while I'm getting this ready, can you go to the full screen with the top right window and uh, I'll get all of this prepared so that I get the numbers the way I want them. And uh, Tammy can, there you go, Tams. You can uh, talk to the, you're on. Yeah, oh, okay, great. So um, while he's getting that ready, uh, again, so I, we'll talk a little bit about uh, line chatter. Now, if you are bedside and, and you're lucky enough to not have so many patients that you're not, you know, very near your uh, ECMO circuit, oftentimes when you're starting to have volume, unless it's a drastic change, like uh, the line becomes kinked or the patient has moved very quickly, which has then, uh, you know, done something to the cannula position drainage, your um, flow on your, your uh, control monitor will likely start doing just a little bit of vacillating. So if you're at four liters, maybe it's just dipping down to three and a half and going back up to four. It's not always um, that it's going to just be immediate and dramatic. If you're having the patient who's been diuresed, you know, that's going to take place over a certain period of time. And so sometimes you are able to catch that you're getting behind on volume before it becomes in such a critical 
state where your flow is being stopped and started again. So that's something to watch for in your rounds. It's something to talk to your bedside nurse about because they're often in the room more than you are. And that if you teach them just that little um, place to go ahead and just keep an eye on, they can often be your partner in helping to uh, recognize that problem before it becomes serious. Now you have time to get albumin or time to draw a lab and see if, well, maybe I'd rather give blood. You would have some time to be able to prepare for that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very excellent. Very good. Okay. So let's go forward. Uh, if you'll bring the slides up full screen, please. Is that not, uh, is my uh, thing not working? I, I thought I, hold on one second. Okay. Um, the, the monitor's not changing for some reason. Oh, okay. So this toy is new, and we're having a lot of fun learning about it. But, of course, it's a very complex device in the things that it can do. It's actually pretty user-friendly with the interface that's given to you. But like anything, um, when you have a lot of options, you got to learn how to be able to use them, you know? Yes, that is very true. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can figure this out. If you'll all be patient with me for just one second. And just go, yeah, just, yeah, there you go, Tammy. You can maybe yeah. help well, me out. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, this device is not no longer being manufactured. Levanova is coming out with a new device. But whatever device that you have, whatever hey, David, platform you choose, you um, something off. to think about is right how here. mobile nope. is okay. it? Am I going to be able to move turn these patients around? Because um, we really found we may have not done this very often before, but and and with all of these COVID patients that were on for such a long period of time. We got to see that transport became a regular part of our day. We're often going to CT to get some sort of scan. And so you want to make sure that you have a platform that is able to be maneuvered around the hospital. Get into those elevators because it's just not going to be you and that patient, right? They often have other devices that they're going to have to have on them. You're going to have multiple people going with you. And then if you get to the point where you are ambulating patients, then you're going to have the patient, often a chair behind the patient, a physical therapist, a nurse, the perfusionist, and the work. device. And you're all trying to walk in unison together when you're rehabilitating these patients. Mm -hmm. So the ability to really be able to be mobile is something you want to consider. And then if you're ever going to transport outside of your facility, then you are going to want to make sure it's something that can get into um, an ambulance. Even when you ask for those big box ambulance, they're very small on the inside. This particular one can break away from the trolley. You just grab this handle here and you can pick it up and it can be placed on the patient bed. And many uh, other devices, I'm sure, have similar capacity, but some are made just to stay within the hospital. They can have bigger bases. They don't really pull away. They can't get the monitor off. So those are all considerations. If you're purchasing new equipment or maybe you're starting a new ECMO program, those are all things that you need to be thinking about and considering. Um, 
Let's see. Another thing to consider is, you know, how many ECMO pumps are you going to purchase and what are going to be your backups? We happen to go with this device because um, it's a great, it's, it's compact, it's very versatile, but it also has the same external drive that we use on our bypass pumps. So that way we have a little bit of interchangeability between them if we ever got into a situation where now we've got all of our ECMO pumps in use, what's your backup pump? What if you have some sort of failure? And so that went into the planning for our particular ECMO uh, machines and what we were going to have available at our facilities. Okay, very good, excellent, very good points. Okay, so we'll go to full screen slides and we're going to talk about this next patient. This next patient, the, uh, it is, the title of it is hyperdynamic, we talked about that, VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit. Now, this is a COVID ARDS patient. In fact, uh, all but one, I think, is COVID ARDS. 44-year-old female. Patient is very hypertensive and tachycardic for several hours, which was given to you in report. The patient was given labetalol times two, 20 milligrams IV. Uh, the patient's 173 centimeters, 78 kilograms, with a BMI of 26, so not necessarily a very big patient. Patient has been on ECMO for 10 days with dual cannulation technique, which means there's a VFEM, this one that I talked about earlier, in the, uh, in the this one here, I'm sorry, in the right atrium, in the uh, femoral vein up to the right atrium, and this one in the, uh, in the right IJ, and actually, it, with the dual cannulation technique, the tip would be down in the IVC. You wouldn't want it all the way in the right atrium. It would increase recirculation. But nevertheless, you have ephemeral venous drainage and you have right IJ return. The vent is on lung protective strategies, uh, the, uh, which I'll show you here shortly. And unfortunately, this patient has very low tidal volumes. The lungs are almost not contributing at all which we'll show you. The uh, ECMO uh, settings are 100% FiO2, sweep of six. ECMO inline is reading 100% on the SAT, 64% on the SVO2. Temp is 37.8, and the hematocrit inline is 26. And again, we're at six of sweep, 100 on the um, FiO2. So this is how you show up. So turn on the sound and mm -hmm. go to the full, uh, full set. And this is the blood gas that was just reported. So if you look at the, the blood gas, big yeah, screen? make the blood gas bigger, the please. Numbers are kind of small. Let's just have a look at the blood gas first. 7.28, 61. PO2 is 56. Bicarb is uh, 34. And the, uh, the SAO2 is 78%. So there is agreement with your saturation monitor, but this is basically how you started your day off. And this is what you have gotten from report and you're told that this is what has been going on all day. Um, they have increased the flow from 3.4 to four in an attempt to make this better, but that has thus far not solved the problem. The patient SATs are, per, uh, are persistently low. The patient's tachycardic, hypertensive, and the patient condition, condition is deteriorating. The question is why? What is going on with this patient? Okay, go ahead and kill the sound because uh, that's gonna make, make me go crazy before the day <laughs> is over with. So throw the ventilator up full screen first. 
So what we're looking at here is a tidal volume of 92. Peak pressures are already 32. Um, the lungs are just simply not contributing. I can turn the FiO2 to 100%, but with the tidal volume that low, are you really going to affect much of a change? Probably not. No. I could probably turn the FiO2 down to 21%, and it's not going to make any difference. So you really have to, whenever you're confronted with a, a low SAT, is to first figure out, is there a mechanical problem? Is it the ventilator? Is it where we have some settings there? So in this particular case, you're going to rule out very quickly. And you should know this already. Go ahead and reduce that. You should know that already. Mm -hmm. But let's look at the patient just to see. The patient has, go ahead and increase the patient monitor. The patient is tachycardic. The patient is hypertensive. The patient is hypoxic with a SAT of 79 to 81%. Um, there's the temperature, the patient's temperature is a little elevated, 38.8 on the patient monitor, even though it's 37.8 on the ECMO. And that's another thing that we can discuss very briefly. But the oxygenator, because of the heat exchange capability, which there would be another machine hooked up to it, go ahead and make that smaller, um, you can mask a fever very yes. easily. And you have to be aware of that. But anytime that you see a higher temperature of the patient versus the temperature of your arterial outlet on your ECMO circuit, it should bring, make you wonder, is there a fever going on here that I am masking? It's, it's very much like CRRT. If you have a lactate level of three, on high volume CRRT, given that lactate is cleared with a, clear, uh, a, a, a uh, clearance ratio of one, uh, you are going, which is very high, which is high uh, your, your lactate is much, much higher. You're masking right. a problem. So you have to take that into consideration. Um, your flow, we could try to increase the flow even more, but this is a smaller patient. It's dual cannulation technique, but let's go ahead and try to go to 4.4 liters a minute and see if we make any, if we have any improvement. So increasing the flow to 4.5, we could sit and wait for a few seconds and see if we have anything occur. And I don't believe anything will, except we're just spinning a little bit faster. Our pressures um, are going to go up um, on our... Uh, on our ECMO circuit. You can point to that. You saw mm -hmm. an increase in those. Because again, you have smaller cannulas. It's a smaller patient. There will be limitations. Now, another thing we could try to do is decrease the temperature. If we decrease the temperature of the patient, which we really can't simulate here at this time, you would, of course, decrease oxygen requirement demand, and you would get some incremental increase in your saturation. They are 30, I think I said 38.8. So we could drop that down to 36 and reduce by 14% the metabolic demand. But is masking a temperature necessarily the right answer? Is that really what's going on here? Um, remember, the patient was given labetalol for the hypertension. Has not been very effective. So let's take some considerations and think about some other things. So you can go ahead and uh, I'm continuing with the, uh, with the scenario now, turning the patient monitor on. 
And we're going to start thinking about some things. Confirm the event FiO2. We've already discussed that. Check the patient ABG. Well, we saw the ABG. It is in concurrence with our pulse ox. Increase ECMO flow. We tried that, and that has not necessarily helped us. Uh, what other tests can we examine? Well, we can look at a flow track. So let me go ahead, and if you're not familiar with flow track, that is, I think everybody is, but it's a continuous cardiac output monitor. So I'm going to pull that up. And we're going to look and see what this patient's flow track is. So go full screen, please, on the, uh, oh, let me see. Uh, let me see. I'm having a problem here, so just give me yeah. a second. So um, while he figures that out, um, something to. Oh, there you go. You got okay. it? Yeah, oh, I okay, got great. It. So go full screen. And we can see that this patient's cardiac index is 4.8. So based on this patient's size, their cardiac output is about 10 liters. If you think about that, and we're flowing four liters, four and a half, four and a half now, but still greater than 50% of their blood is not getting oxygenated. It's simply bypassing the ECMO going into the RV and out. So what is in the pulmonary artery going to the pulmonary veins, getting back into the left side of the heart is a mixture of all of that. Okay, so go ahead and take that down. So what's the next thing we can look at? Well, we can look at an echo. So let's do that. Mm -hmm. Let's go to an echo. And let's see what this patient's ventricle looks like. And go full screen on that, please. And you can see here by this echo, it's not very smooth uh, running over the, uh, the internet, but you can basically appreciate that it is a very hyperdynamic heart. And I'm sorry that you can't see it as clearly as I would like you to, but it is a very hyperdynamic L, uh, 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 heart, RV and LV. All right. And so what's another thing we can look at? We can measure a recirculation on the ELSA meter. So let's do that. Okay. And go ahead to a full screen. And the recirculation is showing less than 5%. And what does that mean? Now, again, this is not, I can't run an actual ELSA meter, but it's less than 5%. In other words, there is no recirculation. So recirculation isn't your problem. So go ahead and take that back to the smaller. Before you move forward, you, yes. for people who aren't familiar with the ELSA meter, why don't you share what is considered an acceptable recirculation? Excellent. So normal, you're going to have recirculation in almost everything. And anytime you're, you're, what you're trying to achieve is about 15%. If you can get under 20%, 15% is beautiful. 10% is really incredible. 20% um, is acceptable, but 25% you're starting to be concerned because that's higher recirculation. And a lot of that is going to be due to cannula positioning. However, very important to understand the higher your cardiac output in relation to your ECMO flow, the lower your recirculation will be, even in a not perfectly placed double lumen 
uh, catheter. And something else to point out while we're talking about this, thinking that your recirculation uh, can improve if you increase your flow is the wrong thing to think. So Absolutely. If, if you just, you know, they're like, oh, you're not, you know, it's, it's 30%. We don't want to adjust the cannula. Think about it. Increasing your flow increases the, the speed at which something comes out. And if you have a recirculation problem, it's just going to increase the recirculation. Yes, absolutely. 100% correct. And conversely, if you have even with a perfectly placed uh, 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 VV ECMO cannula, if your cardiac output, like you're going into RV failure and your cardiac uh, output is depressed lower than your ECMO flow, then you will have very high recirculation. Right. So very high recirculation can be indicative of, and we're actually going to do that in the next scenario, can be indicative of either catheter malposition mm -hmm. or heart failure. Yes. And you, there are ways to differentiate between the two that I'm hopeful we are going to actually teach you to do. So what is the appropriate thing to do for this patient? And here is, uh, go ahead and throw the slides up if you would. So here is understanding what I call VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit. You see your cannula there. I believe I can uh, highlight it. So here's your cannula. You have drainage coming from here in this area and drainage coming from this area with return coming here. So here and here is going to suck out and then your return is gonna come this way down the cannula and come out right here. So if your cardiac output, in other words, the blood coming this direction and this direction fills the right atrium and goes through the tricuspid valve and it's 10 liters a minute, but your flow through this cannula is only five liters per minute, you have a 50, you have a 50% VQ mismatch. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean when I say VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit. It's the same exact phenomenon of a VQ mismatch of the lung. Right. But you're just doing it with the lung not part of the equation. Now, if the lungs can contribute in this particular, you can make that smaller. Um, like in this scenario here, where you have a tidal volume of 99, you're probably not really getting much in the way of lung contribution. If you did have that, it would help you because with that VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit, if they were hyperdynamic, your lungs could, you would at least get it from a very low sat to a higher sat, right. and then the lungs would add some contribution and your distal sats uh, peripheral sats or systemic sats would be much, much better. So what is the appropriate treatment for this? It's going to be Esmolol. You need to, if the patient's pressure can tolerate it, in this case they can, um, Esmolol, a short-acting beta blocker, would be the best first approach. The other thing you could do is to increase flows significantly by adding cannulas, both an access and a return, or one versus the other and even dual circuit, uh, circuits known as the butterfly technique that we learned from, um, 
from uh, uh, Matt Warhoover over at Vanderbilt. Yes. So here now you see things are improving. We've done the Esmolol, and you see the patient monitor has gotten much, much better. Your SATs are up to 94. And the rest of this ECMO shift, you can turn your flows down a little bit so you don't have such high pressures, reduce uh, uh, cellular damage, you know, because of the, uh, the red cell destruction from the higher negative pressure. Your CRRT machine is probably going to work a lot better now that you don't have as hostile a, an environment. Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things I do want to point out is when you look at uh, adding CRT to this, and we're going to do that on, I believe, Tuesday of next week, where I'm going to put it in. No, the CRT machine is designed to operate in a in a venous a vein, right? Femoral right. vein, IJ, right atrium, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and those pressures are usually pretty stable, and it's going to be somewhere between five, if unless the patient is completely empty. Uh, uh, up to about 20 if the patient is really sick and fluid overloaded, mm -hmm. volume overloaded, and heart failure, et cetera. Um, but let's just say 10 to 15 in that range. Our positive pressure is 184. Our negative pressure is negative 143. That is a very hostile environment for a CRT machine. And uh, I say this all of the time jokingly, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say it again. I don't think much of the company Baxter Gambro but they have a really good tool and their tool unlike the uh, their competitors i won't even say the competitors names um, but unlike their competitors uh, their tool is well designed to operate in that hostile environment and do so in an effective way mm -hmm. so i do prefer that as a widget uh, i think it's an excellent device and uh, works very very well compared to the other devices that do exist mm -hmm. out there. So here's our patient looking a lot better, much more stable. The Esmolol has helped. Um, again, you have to make sure that your blood pressure can tolerate it, your heart rate can tolerate it, all of those things. The patient's contractility has to be able to tolerate it. You saw that was very hyperdynamic. You also have to be concerned about the, fe the, the, the mild fever that we see, mm -hmm. and you may want to treat that. But reducing all of the patient, the patient's hyperdynamic state will make everything look a lot better. Decrease your recirculation, increase your uh, systemic SATs, and uh, make the uh, the rest of your ECMO shift a lot more pleasant to operate in. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is the end of that scenario. Our next scenario is gonna be high recirculation, and we're gonna talk about that. So why don't you go to Tammy? Tammy, if you can sort of take over, maybe discuss some additional things, and I'll get that set up. Okay, so, Matt, uh, David, just go ahead to Tammy full screen, please. Some things that um, we could talk about on the ELSA meter. So Joe talked a little bit about this uh, device, and it, it has flow probes. Uh, flow probes uh, that look very similar to what you might be used to seeing on your ECMO circuit, on your bypass circuit, but they have an inlet and an outlet. So you have, um, you know, an access um, flow probe so you know exactly what's coming out of the patient and then you have a return so you know exactly what's going into the patient. Now in addition to that when you're first um, setting up your ECMO you're going to hook up your ELSA meter which it can be done at any time but let's say you know from the beginning you're going to be using this thing you're going to input your patient uh, name demographics 
You're also going to tell it, uh, because oxygenator volumes have, uh, oxygenators, depending on brand and type, have different uh, priming volumes. So you'll need to know your priming volume of your oxygenator. And you likely already know that. You probably use, uh, you know, one or two different oxygenators in your facility. So you already know that. And you're going to put in its priming volume. Now, the reason that that is important is Joe mentioned that this device can also tell you oxygenator blood volume. And what we mean by that is it, when you are sending in your saline sample, which this is how you actually use the ELSA meter, is you're going to give a saline bolus on the access side. Then you're going to have it, uh, it will, you tell it that you're giving the bolus it pushes it through the circuit uh, just by the normal flow of the uh, circuit, goes uh, up into the patient, and then depending on how much it sees the saline, because of course that's different than blood, it can tell when it comes back how much returns back. That's how you get your recirculation. But what it can also do is it can calculate if it knows your um, oxygenator blood volume, it can calculate based on the flow how much um, volume is flowing through your oxygenator. And the reason that's important, of course, is for clot. So we already know as soon as you get on ECMO, very shortly thereafter, whether you're anticoagulated or you're not, you're starting to get some clots. There's always a little bit of low uh, flow stasis areas within these devices. And so we know that that's occurring and that's normal. But what we don't want is we don't want clots often are on the inside. We're not able to actually see them, even though we're checking for them, right? So this is a way to be able to sort of see inside of the oxygenator, or perhaps if a clot is on the outside and you note it, you know it's there, is it just that little portion or does it extend uh, fully into a very large clot inside the oxygenator by being able to test your oxygenator blood volume and really use it as a trending device? You know, it, it, it's 180 to start. That's what we primed with. Now, it's at 170, eh, 175. Okay, fine. Now, you're testing this, let's say, every day or every couple days, or maybe you don't even have the device uh, on there, but you're starting to get concerned about this specific patient and this oxygenator. Is it getting close to time that we want to go ahead and change the oxygenator? You can hook up the ELSA meter at any time, go ahead and run your test, and then you're able to see, oh, my, my oxygenator volume is down to 150. You know, that's a pretty substantial drop from the last time that I checked it. We've got some clot in there. And so that way you're able to use it as a tool to start planning, when do I want to change that oxygenator out? So that you're able to do it in a um, controlled um, scenario so that, you know, you have less mistakes. Everyone wants to change an oxygenator when it's planned, not when it's urgent. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very, very true. Okay. So... Uh, let's go to full slides, uh, full, full screen slides. And now what we're looking at is we have another COVID patient with ARDS. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're just, okay, so we're going we're gonna to wrap up with this one. Yes. It's going to be our last one. Uh, this is a 50-year-old male. The patient is stable uh, on ECMO. 
and currently in prone position. You're not using a rotoprone, you're doing it manually. Patient is 183 centimeters, 113 kilos with a BMI of 33.74. This is ECMO day 34, and things are actually starting to look a little bit better. Uh, the oxygenator settings are current uh, FiO2 of 100%. Sweep is 7 liters. The uh, SVO2 is running at 70. And the temp is 37 with a hematocrit of 30%. Okay, so let's go ahead and start the, uh, bring the thing on, bring on all the sounds. And uh, we're going to get the patient ready. For, uh, for making this change from the prone position to the, um, to the uh, 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 back to supine. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and push the button. Tammy, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's go ahead and get this done. So we're in there with the nurses. We're assisting and we get the patient uh, flipped over. And not long after we get the patient flipped over, we start noticing problems. Okay, so we've got the patient flipped. We're doing everything we need to do. Maybe we could turn our ECMO flow up a little bit, see what uh, is going on here. And not unlike a lot of things, things have started to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And they are deteriorating fairly rapidly. So the patient was turned from prone to supine. Immediately upon turning prone, patient pulse ox drops significantly. Patient becomes unstable. ECMO flow is unchanged. In other words, we didn't and, go down. Correct. And we are going to go ahead and send a blood gas. But in the meantime, we're going to try to figure out what is going on while we're waiting for that blood gas to come back. Now, our sats are way down. What do we think is going on? Can we go up on the flow? Is that going to help us? Well, I went up on the flow and it did not change What about anything? going up a little more? Let's go to five liters. Okay. Now it's starting to show alarm because I'm maxing out on my... On your RPMs. Right. So let's go ahead and silence the alarm so we don't have to go crazy. We can go to 100% on the vent. The patient does have pretty decent vent contribution. You know what? So let's go to 100% on the vent. Pull the vent up full screen and they can see me changing the vent FiO2. To 100%, that would be a smart thing to do. I did that. Go ahead and bring that down. Our blood gas is back. Bring the monitor up. So we sent the blood gas, and this is what our blood gas is telling us. So we've got a problem. And I just noticed something else. Go to full, go to the full pack and pull up the ECMO inline. The eigenflow. ECMO inline, bottom mm -hmm. left. What do we see that just changed? It was 70. Yeah, the so our, Venus, our Venus sats went up. Way up. What does that tell us? That the vent change impacted. 
No, that's the inline. Oh, the inline. Oh. The SAO, the oh. SVO2. So the patient is uh, not extracting as much O2? No. no. Okay. Uh, How about there's a lot of recirculation potentially? Ah, yes, recirculation. Because there are different ways of... You can infer recirculation, so pull the blood gas back up again. Right. This is the patient blood gas. You can see there the They're not getting PO2 the supply, is right? 56.2. Right. That's the patient. So go ahead and take that. Uh, I'll close that. But yet our but the, inline venous. And your inline arterial is 100%, so there's not your problem. So one of the things... One of the biggest risks when you're moving a patient is what? Cannula mouth positioning or torquing. Dislodging of the cannula. And that doesn't mean coming out. It may not even be visual, visually uh, noticeable, especially with these, you know, dual lumen. Um, It's a twisting. Correct. That could be enough. It could be anything. It could be. A couple, it could be a, a couple of centimeters, and you wouldn't even notice it. So let's look at the investigations. ECMO flow, we tried that yeah, to no work. avail. SAO2 of the ECMO circuits, 100%. We don't have a problem. Is this a hyperdynamic presentation? Doesn't appear to be. SVO2 of the ECMO circuit has gone up. That is a red flag. Now, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look at at the ECMO circuit itself and investigate the access line. So let me show that to you, if I may. Just be, you have to be a little patient so I can bring it up, but you would walk over and you would look at the ECMO circuit. Now, if you, um, I don't think I can, can you go full screen top left? Oh yeah, there we go. Okay. Now watch it. You see, you'll see the red flashing. Do you see it pulsing in that top line? I can't point to it. Yeah, oh, there it is. Okay. The line with the little blue line in it is your access line. And you will see it flashing red. Right. There it is. There's a pulse. Yep. And what does that mean? Classic for higher recirculation. Something has gone wrong. Well, but what is that pulse in case it's not clicking with some people? It's the, it's, ar- it's the arterial blood or the return blood being sucked back in. Correct. Yes, absolutely. So let's exit that. All right. So what is the next thing we need to do? The next thing we should be doing is checking an x-ray. That would be the next appropriate thing. Or actually, let's do a recirculation. Yeah, I'm if, sorry, you, if you have the, the transonic. meter, you should. Exactly. Thank it's, you. It's I much faster. We don't have to wait on x-ray to come. Correct. It's something perfusion can do right away. So let's check a recirculation. And lo and behold. Your recirculation is 65%. Look at that. That's a big problem. And what you notice from that is your arterial flow is 5 liters, but your effective ECMO flow or ECF, ECMO, uh, ECMO flow, effective 
circulatory flow. I don't I know think what ECF stands for. I think it's extracorporeal flow. I think that's what it stands for. So what? No, it has to be effective. It's your effective flow. It has to be effective flow. Effective corporeal flow, maybe? Anyway. I don't know what it means. But it's only 1,700. So you've lost 65% of the effectiveness of your ECMO is don't, basically what and it's And don't showing. take that down just since we have it up. Since we were talking about oxygenator blood volume, you can see on the left-hand side, that's where we input what the oxygenator um, requires for priming. In other words, what's its standard volume. And then you look to the right, and it tells you what's your blood volume um, percent. So th there's nothing wrong with this oxygenator. It's, Correct. It's working fine. There's not clots. It's doing great. Correct. So let's go ahead. And the next thing we have to do is we have to check an x-ray. Yes. We have to. So we're going to go to the x-ray. But now we know what, what we're already looking for. Well, it took the time to call the doctor to get the order, to get x-ray down there. We already know it's likely um, cannula malposition. We know what we're going to find with this x-ray, and we right. don't want to. So go ahead and make that x-ray large. And there is your x-ray. And if you look at the, I wish I could trace it, but I can't. But if you look at your ECMO cannula coming in from the right side of the neck going down, you see it as it leaves the superior vena cava, it's crossing the midline. It should be to the right of the spinal processes, and it's coming across midline, and that is either just above the tricuspid valve or possibly even in the RV. I've seen it deeper. That one there, the tip looks like it is in the... Uh, it's still in the right atrium, but it is uh, certainly rotated over probably right above the tricuspid valve. So the only solution, the only thing you can do, you can go ahead and make that smaller. The only thing we can do at this point in time is to reposition the cannula. And upon repositioning the cannula, and there's a variety of ways to do that, we could discuss that. Um, and here it says the cannula must be repositioned with the tip in the IVC, preferably with research tests done to ensure best position and secure the cannula robustly so that does not happen again. This is especially important in your awake patients. Yes. Now you see everything has gotten much better. You, if you were to run another ELSA meter recirculation, you would find, and of course, one of the other things that you would note immediately is, and go ahead and pull up the eigenflow, the bottom left inline, ECMO inline monitor. You see that your venous saturation has yes. now gone back down to the 70% where you want it to be. Right. And so there's different ways, thanks, different ways of, it, you can infer recirculation by trending in your SVO2, but that can be other things. Temperature, extraction. Extraction, right. You know, uh, you know a lot of different things can affect that flow. Flow. Um, there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's cardiac output. There's, right. there's a lot of things that can, that can affect that. So if it's very high, 88%, clearly you have a problem. But you can have 22, 24%, 25% recirculation and not have a significant increase in your SVO2 and without having a recirculation with a patient who is modestly hyperdynamic, you may have 
borderline to 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 uh, unacceptable arterial saturations that you have to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so Tammy, you want to come back here? Absolutely. And uh, we'll close this out. So let's go full screen studio if we could. There you go. There we go. Thanks. Just turn it off. Down yeah, you below. can just turn it off down below. There you go. You did it. You 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 quieted it. That you know yeah, what you did exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I did a good training. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that was really fun. You know, it was not too bad. I don't know what people. So you said I have some comments. Um. Get wow. Um. Perfuse fine. Thank you so much. What ID cannulation? Um, I'm not sure that question. So, what's the, the ideal cannulation? Ideal. No, it says what? What ID cannulation? Um, okay. Well, if it's if that's the question, if it was, uh, if it was ideal, um, it really depends. Um, I think there's a lot of places that use. I did a program on uh, ECMO cannulation strategies. I can do it again. Um, it's a it's a comfortable and familiar. There's pros and cons to everything, right? Everything, yes. If you're going to ambulate your patient, a dual lumen cannula for VV is preferred because it's easier for them to move. Mm -hmm. In the right IJ or the crescent uh, yeah. from the left subclavian. Mm -hmm. um, either way uh, works pretty well. Yeah. Um, Even the Protect Duo, if that's what you have. Yeah, well, you could put that in. Exactly. Right. That's a very good. In fact, that's what it's for. Yeah. It's, it's an excellent. Uh, it's not, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of it um it's a neat cannula it has utility it has utility in the right circumstances but I there's pros and cons to all the all of these it's a pro tech ah. there's a pro and con but there's pros mm -hmm. and cons to all of them right all techniques yes. yes of course um and sometimes one single double lumen cannula is not enough right sometimes you need a double lumen cannula and two separate cannulas in variety of places in order to be able to achieve the types of flows that uh that you uh, that you need for that particular patient sometimes you need two ecmo circuits altogether. right okay okay so uh how did you feel about today thought it went great again it's a new toy we're getting better and better at it um i do think that uh you know, having these sort of simulations, having these discussions about scenarios really helps improve your uh, bedside practice. I think so. So the next one we do, we're going to do it with the uh, CRRT machine, okay. but I'm going to do what was going to be our fourth. Can you, you, can you, is it possible to bring the slides up? So the, the, the scenario that I'll do next week uh, on Tuesday before I start the um, CRT. CRT portion of it is going to be VA ECMO with differential hypoxemia or Harlequin syndrome or dual circulation or whatever term you want to use. So we'll go over what that is and then we'll do the scenario for that and then we'll do the CRT because the CRT portion probably isn't going to take more than 20 or 30 and minutes. And I'm going to put a challenge out there. Challenge me. Not you. Oh, challenge For somebody. our audience. So you saw kind of how we do these scenarios. If you guys uh, want to and you tune in on Tuesday, 
before we give you the solutions, if you want to comment your, your thoughts on how we can correct these problems, what we can do to help improve whatever's going on with the patient, we can spin the wheel. We can spin the wheel. <laughs> exactly. We got a lot of comments today. Yep. So um, well, we'll hold back the solution in the beginning um, and just see uh, for you guys. It's it's good practice, right? Because you saw even though uh, I was up there supposed to be talking about a scenario, I hadn't um, I didn't even fully think for one of my answers. But it's great because then I was like, oh, of course, it's not extraction because of this, this and this. Yes. And then the more you do these things, the more you start thinking about the possible reasons the better you're going to get at them. Yes. Well, there's a, there's the right. And there's frequently a host of could be's. Of course. And the key is knowing how to evaluate narrow, the circumstance. Yeah. And narrow them and down. Na narrow it down. Exactly. Exactly. So. What I time is our program Tuesday? Here's my goat. We're so, not ready for the goat. What so, time is the program Tuesday? Um, that's a good question. I don't know, David. Okay. I, well, right, but we have one. We have one Monday as well, don't we? No, no, just Tuesday. Just Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, and it starts when? 8 a.m. Okay. So please join us back on Tuesday at 8 a.m. And this is Joe's favorite way to close out the show. Now, first, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. We love the comments. Please keep interacting with us, and we hope you have a wonderful weekend. And that's it, Joe. You yes, want to send you. us off? Magic. Um, can you do me a favor? Can you zoom in on on my goat? You'll mm -hmm. notice while Joe was gone out of studio, I managed to not use the goat mm -hmm. at all. Hold on, let's focus in. It's a pretty goat. Can they hear that? Could, you here. need to put it in your mic. I hope they're not wearing headphones. So we didn't have any goat screaming today. We didn't have any dumpster fires. I think today's program went well. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your help very much. We'll see you on Tuesday, whatever time it's supposed to be. They tell me I'm here and I'll be ready to go. Thanks, have a good, guys. Have a good weekend.